Hey guys, joining me today is speaker and blogger Ted Lowe. Ted is the director of Married People, the marriage division at The Rethink Group, also known as Orange, a nonprofit organization devoted to influencing those who influence the next generation. Before working at Orange, Ted has served as director at Married Life at North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. Ted, welcome to the show. Colleen, thanks for having me. It's great to have you, Ted. I'm looking forward to discussing the most common problems that men encounter in their marriage. But before we do, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us how did you get started on your journey? Yeah, so I've been in ministry for most of my adult life. I worked at church, several different churches in different capacities. And my wife and I thought we were the chosen two, that our marriage was going to be really easy when we first got together. You know, we're dating. We were feeling sorry for everyone else because they didn't have this special thing the two of us had found. And we just knew that our love was going to find a way. You know, it was going to be easy. And then we got married and we were... I'm familiar with that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you guys felt it too, huh? We thought we, you know, I remember we had a premarital mentor and we're, we would drive away going, we just really feel sorry for them. They keep giving us all this heads up and all these warnings of things are going to happen. I'm not sure that they realize who they're talking to. But then we got married and it was tougher than we thought. So here I am working at a church. We were actually even working with the marriage ministry of our church in different capacities. And I remember thinking, wow, if they only knew how much we were struggling. And so it just, I started thinking, it's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do this than the way we're doing this. And so I just kind of dove in and kind of became a student of marriage. And then that became part of my ministries. I worked in churches. You know, my wife and I found hope. We wanted to give that hope away. We were like, wow, it doesn't have to be like this. And it's not as difficult to make it better than we thought. The thing that blew me away the most was I couldn't believe that it wasn't as hard as we had been led to believe that we could make a few simple changes that would really change us. Okay. Before diving in deeper in these topics, I would like to ask you, what is currently motivating you to keep this professional track? You know, I just think, Clean, when I see people getting it and they get hope and they have some relational wins that I just think, wow, let's keep doing this. Part of the reason I was excited about being on your podcast is one of the things we do in our organization is we really want to be guy friendly. I feel like the way we approach marriage a lot of times, so feminine, so outdated, so boring, so preachy. And so one of the things we want to do is to gear it more for guys. And since we've done that, you know, the guys have jumped on board. They feel like this is something that's for them. It's not something their wives are dragging them into. And so when I see that, when I see guys getting it, I think, yeah, we're doing the right thing. We need to keep going. Okay, I hear you and I'm definitely on the same page. So, Ted, let's talk about the most common challenges and issues that men are facing in their marriages, in their relationships. What's your experience with this? Well, I think we're all really, really busy. I think we all live really, really hectic lives and we don't leave a lot of margin or space to be married. And when I say space to be married, I'm not talking about the complicated things or even making time for counseling and different things like that. I'm just talking about making time to connect. You know, in the U.S., we're so kid-centric. world revolves around kids, and that's why a lot of people divorce when they become empty nesters is because they don't know who they're married to anymore. They've just been living like roommates. And so I think that's a big, big, big thing is just the pace of life. And I don't really think our culture anywhere that I've traveled to really says, hey, you need to pause for your marriage. That's a priority. You know, you need to go on date nights. That should be a priority. You should have time just the two of you. Do you find the same thing? 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I wanted to tell you that this isn't a US thing. This is very common in Europe as well. And I mentioned to you in our pre-chat that I used to be a family therapist. And most times when people reached out and they needed family therapy, it usually had to do something with their children. And each and every time I tried to mention that it's very important in order to live a healthy family life, to focus on their marriage, on their experience, as a couple, they were so surprised, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that that can have to do with anything, actually. So, yeah. Right. You know, and we work with a lot of churches and we tell churches all the time that, you know, you can build all these incredible facilities and all these different things, but the best thing you can do for kids is help their mom and dad or mom and stepdad or stepdad and mom or foster parents. It's like the best thing you do for a kid is really impact those marriages that are impacting that kid. So I think that's the thing that we want to help couples to move towards to say, give them permission to take time to love each other and to hang out and to be connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this doesn't have to do with being, you know, a narcissistic couple. No. <laughs> it has to do with doing things right. Even if your main focus is to create the right conditions for your children, this element, this is a key in ingredient to achieve this. Right. Well, and there's just so many studies out right now. I one fascinating study the other day that was talking about these kids that would see their parents go through conflict. And when the parents handled the conflict well, the child was actually happier after the conflict than before because they know intuitively that there's going to be conflict in their lives. And when they see it resolved, it makes them feel safer. You want to do something great for your kids. Have a great marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, you're so right. I mean, people tend to measure the success of their relationship by looking and paying attention at the conflict and they keep avoiding conflicts like that, you know, the worst thing that can happen. And that's not true. Conflict suggests that there is interest, there is a growth opportunity, they are connected, they have a chance to create something together. When I see a couple who tells me that they never have a fight, they don't have arguments, what I usually see, what I usually observe is that they are emotionally disconnected. I think that is much worse than having a conflict every now and then. And I think that a very important distinction here is that, okay, I'm not saying that it's great to have conflicts all the time in your marriage or something, but what I am saying is that conflicts are an opportunity for growth. And as long as they do not keep you in a toxic pattern and as long as they get resolved, ideally in the same day, they are actually opportunities for growth and as you said children tend to feel more safe and more secure when they see that their parents are real people who are connected who sometimes have issues and challenges but they know how to solve them and I think that's key right well I think it's just key to say we're gonna fight for each other that's the thing when couples are still fighting you know we're like hey we're gonna fight for this marriage I think the key is fighting for your marriage and not with your spouse like it's the fighting to win we both always lose Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it keeps us stuck in a constant power struggle rather than becoming allies. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. One other very interesting issue that I find when I talk with men about their relationships is that they tend to remain stuck in their heads when it comes to family dynamics, when it comes to sharing their emotions or understanding where their wife or girlfriend is coming from. So again, this is very common in Europe. What is your experience with this? It is. And I think one of the things that I talk about just came up with a book called Your Best Us. And one of the things that we found is this is a one liner that 
radically impact our marriage. Like when we were first married, we were fighting a lot. And our fights would kind of go like this, where she would tell me some problem that was going on. And then I would instantly, you know, being a guy, go trying to fix it. Well, she would get really frustrated with all my attempts. And I thought, wow, she really doesn't respect my opinion on things. Uh, She really doesn't think I can really help her. And then she said to me one time, she said, I don't need you to fix this. I need you to fill this. And then as I've read more and more studies and done research, one book suggests, talked about that women are standing in an emotional puddle of a situation, that they're explaining what's going on, what happened at work. They're emotional about it. They actually want the man to step in the puddle. Like, I want you to step in this puddle for me. What men want to do is jerk out of the puddle. And what I found with my wife, I literally, it saved a million fights. She'll tell me what's going on. I said, you mean to fix this or fill this? And 95% of the time, she says, just fill this, which as a man makes zero sense. You know, it just doesn't. I go, why are you telling me this? And I told her, I said, it's like me leaving you abandoned on the side of the road. It's like me driving up in your car as flat tires and me going, oh, this looks really tough. And then driving away. I go, that's what it feels like to me. And she's like, oh, no, it's not that. So I have really learned, you know, for guys, you know, this is a quick and easy If your wife's telling you something's going on with her, don't fix it. Just feel it. Let her know you're listening. Let her know you understand what's going on. Because I think guys get all, you know, when they hear their wife emotionally, they panic. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to share my emotions like this. I don't know what to say. I know I I can't talk like a girlfriend. Like, I don't know what to do. It just is to sit there and empathize and listen. And they're good to go. And that's been so crazy for a lot of guys when they finally get that to go, I don't need to fix her. I just need to feel what's going on with her. It can change your marriage. Oh yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And one helpful step is exactly as you said, understanding what they really want, what women really want when they are in a difficult situation and they want to share. And if guys think, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to react. Maybe the first thing is to try to calm down your inner dialogue because I'm a guy too and I know that I almost automatically start thinking and problem solving, trying to understand where she's coming from and how can I help and all that stuff that you've mentioned as well. And it's very important, you know, as a first step to calm down my inner dialogue, start observing, reflecting, really listening to what she has to say and try to mirror her. If you don't know what to say, try to mirror her. Mm, That's great. Yeah. I will say it doesn't make sense to guys. It really doesn't. But, you know, you just say, wow, you seem really frustrated. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm really frustrated. Well, I can see why that would be frustrated. But I think them knowing, oh, you're tuning in because you're right. We get in our heads and we start, oh, no, it's like red alert, red alert. How am I going to fix this? You know, you're like, guess what? You don't have to take a breath. You know, that's the thing. Like, Take a breath. You don't got to fix it. In fact, she doesn't want you to. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the key difference there, for sure, for sure. And again, when guys are reaching out to me, usually they're interested in tips and tricks and hacks to better manage the relationship. And again, the first thing that I'm telling them is that, you know, this is probably the same mindset that got you into trouble in the first place, you know? Yep, yep. A quick fix mandate. Yep, not going to work. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Ted, what advice would you give to guys who are struggling in a difficult relationship, to guys who are unsure whether to continue to stay, to fight for the relationship, or maybe to end it? This is one of the most common things that tends to come up in my work. And I was really interested in your perspective on this. I will say this. I know that divorce is more common, but it's no less painful than it's ever been. 
I know when people, especially when they first start talking about separation or even divorce, there's almost like this honeymoon period where you watch that they both feel relief. And I get this a lot. You know, we've never got along better. She helps him pick out an apartment. You know, they're trying to be really, really cordial because of the kids. And one of the, there's a talk radio show here in Atlanta. It's a huge show. And the DJ actually went through a divorce and he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, if my wife and I had treated each other as well as we had treated each other throughout this divorce, because we're trying to make it great for our kids, he said, we wouldn't be divorced right now. So I would say there are situations. I mean, I think, unfortunately, we all know of situations where, you know, divorce was the only option. But I feel like for most couples, it's not the best option. There was a study in USA Today. They followed couples on the verge of divorce. They followed those couples for five years. And something amazing happened. When they got to the end of those five years, the people that reported the highest level of marital satisfaction were actually the ones who would report us the lowest level of marital satisfaction, but had stayed together. And I think what that says, there's something that happens when we hang in there together. When we say, I think we've got to get back to this whole idea that forever means forever. I heard a counselor recently say, she said, the hardest thing right now is counseling couples is people aren't committed to forever. They're committed to forever-ish. And I thought, you know, and you think, wow, ish kills everything. You know, you're handsome-ish. You're strong-ish. I feel like if we could go old school on one thing when it comes to marriage, if we can take one cue from our grandfathers, as that is, it is not optional for me to leave you. We promised this young lady that she could trust us with her heart forever. You know, a lot of people say, well, she's changed. Of course she's changed. If she didn't change, that'd be weird. You know, I didn't sign up for this. Well, none of us did. I think it's one of these things to go. Be a romantic. Be strong. If you've ever been strong before, be strong to make that marriage last. Do whatever it takes to make it last. One of the most secure things she can hear from you that will draw her to you is when you say, I'm not going anywhere. And again, there's situations where a guy can't help it, but I feel like most of us, as far as it depends on you, men that are listening, you fight for that thing until you don't have another breath left in your lungs to do that. It's to say, I want to be here for you. We can figure this thing out. And I think, too, I think we have convinced a generation that if they have a quote unquote issue, that they don't have a marriage. We had some dear friends of ours who came over one night and they were about to go on vacation, just the two of them. And they said, we really don't want to go because we're afraid we're going to fight. They had been fighting about whether to stay in their current house or move to the next one, which, boy, that's a first world problem, isn't it? But in Oh, yeah. But, but, <laughs> for, for some people, that would be a very nice problem to have. Would it be great? <laughs> well, for them, oh, it, yeah. was, it was causing all kinds of conflict. So they're about to go on this vacation. They said, we don't want to go because we don't want to fight. And I said, why don't you take a vacation from talking about whether to stay or to go? And they both looked at me very surprised, and they asked the question, can we do that? And it really was one of those moments where I thought, boy, people think if they've got a problem or they've got an issue or they've got a difference that they can't resolve, that the rest of the marriage has to be put on hold. And I say this, your marriage is bigger than any issue. Your relationship is bigger than any issue. Take a break from those things and say, you know what? We may not ever see eye to eye on this, but we need to see eye on loving each other. So men, be strong. It's time for little boys to sit down and men to stand up. And there is no time we're stronger than when we're stronger trying to keep our marriage together. You know, and that means putting a lot of our own, you know, flesh and frustrations and things aside sometime to figure this thing out. But boy, it's worth the fight. 
Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And as you were speaking, I remembered an interesting thing that Esther Perel said. She said that people used to get a divorce because they were unhappy. Nowadays, people get divorced because they can be happier. And I think that sums it up very nicely. Right. Well, you know, we're the generation that we don't wait till things break. We upgrade or we exchange things. You know, it's we're a different generation of things. We upgrade or change when things aren't broken. Sometimes, you know, I had a, a wedding photographer tell me sometimes she can't get people's pictures back in time before they get a divorce. I think that's craziness. But I think when guys get it, I think a lot of us, people aren't challenging men as much to stay together. They get a group of guys and it's kind of like hanging around with a bunch of high school boys saying, yeah, you deserve something better. Yeah, it'd be so much more fun if you did this. Yeah, you don't need that. We need to have men in our life who want our marriages to win, that care more about us than us liking them. So who are those men in your life that are saying, when you're acting like an idiot and you're telling me about it, I'm going to call you on it. I'm going to tell you when you're, you're in the wrong and I'm not going to pussyfoot around about it. I'm going to do this thing. So I, I don't know. I just think we've got to challenge each other. As men, yeah. As men, right. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I just want to clarify this. And I know that you feel this way as well. This isn't about saying that divorce is not an option, period. No. In some cases, it might be the best option. But what we are saying is that because it's so easy today to get out of it, you know, it's a social trend. Sometimes we simply believe that taking this way, the easier way at that point, at least, is the best solution. And it's not necessarily the best solution. No, it's not. You're exactly right. Unfortunately, there are times, you know, I've counseled several guys who said their wives just refused to stop cheating on them. And I said, well, you have to tell them if she's going to be with you that that's not okay. And it's either going to draw her to you or lead toward divorce and it would lead to a divorce. So there's definitely times, unfortunately, yeah, you're right that they're there. I just think most of the time it's not the best option. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I would like to touch upon another delicate issue. Many people refuse to get a divorce because of their children. So I know that your work is inspired both from science and religion, and I would like to know your opinion about this issue from both perspectives. You know, I think from a kid's perspective, when I hear people say, is it okay to stay together for the kids? The first thing out of my mouth is to think, give me a better reason. Like, give me a better reason to fight. And I think what people are saying, is it better for kids to be in a volatile home or to be in two separate peaceful homes? I think the thing is, you can't just not divorce. Like, this isn't about, like, not divorcing for the sake of the kids. This is, like, fighting for your marriage or working on your marriage for the sake of the kids. There's two different things. There's the people that we're going to live like roommates just so the kids stay in the same home. That's not the answer. The answer is to go, you know what, allowing those kids to be a motivation to stay together. I truly can't think of a better reason to be motivated to work on your marriage than your kids, because for a large part, our kids are going to have our marriage. And we see that impact all across the board there that they see what they see, you know, what is they say? It's not what's taught, it's what's caught. So if they see us, hey, we hit a tough spot and mom and dad really worked out and they were honest with us and we worked. So I think, yeah, I think use them as a motivator, but don't use them as an excuse either to say we're just going to live as roommates. And I think from a faith perspective, I think that we're to be committed. You know, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And so for me, my faith is like I need to be committed not just to not getting a divorce, but I need to be committed to my wife. I mean, like I don't want my wife being committed to a concept. I want her to be committed to 
to me. And when we're committed to them, we do live for a lifetime. And I think sometimes we just got to fast forward down the road and say, you know, what do we want not only for us, but what do we want for our kids and our grandkids? Because there's such a ripple effect with divorce. And sometimes I wonder if the couple getting the divorce doesn't get out the easiest. You know, I've looking at a family member of mine and I've watched how it is totally the impact that it's had on their children. They're both remarried happily, but the kids are being shuffled back and forth to all types of, they're all over the place with the grandparents and with each other. And then you know, that 14 Christmases, I had this, I worked with a church leader the other day and he said he's got one little boy in there and they got this system where they'll let just certain people check them in. And this child had eight people that could check them in because the parents divorced and they were on drugs. Grandparents had joint custody and then now the parents are doing better. They've remarried. So you've got two sets of grandparents and then mom and dad are both remarried. So eight people in this kid's life. And I think nobody's suffering there more than that kid. So I just, I think we've just think again, think big picture for what we want. Marriage can be painful. It hurts sometimes and we're disappointed and we're disillusioned, but it's, I just can't imagine anything more important for us to fight for or get great at. Men are smart. I think men are smart and can get a lot of things done. And I've watched men when they'll turn their drive and their energy and who they are into, I'm going to fix this thing, you know, and not in a way of fixing her, but in a way of figuring it out, what's going on. That's powerful because men can do this. That's the thing. You know, men can do this. Sometimes we just need help. Oh, yeah. And I keep saying this, <laughs> you know, in my talks, in my podcast show that guys, you need to reach out. You don't have to do this alone. Whatever problem you're struggling with, find someone to help you, a friend, a trusted mentor, a religious counsel, maybe a coach, a psychotherapist, a family therapist. Don't do this alone. Right. Right. It's just why you're doing this podcast, right? It's because you know, you've talked to enough guys that, you know, people that are listening to this podcast, I've got to believe that they've got an advantage because they're at least trying to do something to figure things out. Like, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to figure this thing out. And so I think people are listening. They're already motivated in a good way. And all of us, all of us need help. It's guys, we can live like islands and we don't know how to speak the emotional speak and we don't know what to do. So we start isolating me and we got to fight that tendency. We just got to make sure whoever we're surrounding ourselves with is the right people. Absolutely. That's true. Okay, Ted, as we are reaching the second part of the show, I would like to ask you a few personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom to help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? I'm ready. Fire away. Okay, here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? You know, here's the thing, because they're going to get lots of book recommendations. I don't feel like if I give you the wrong one, I'm going to destroy your podcast or people listening. So, um, and this is going to sound really egotistical, but I've wrote a marriage book. It's 100 pages for men who don't like marriage books. It's called Your Best Us. And I just thought, I want to write one for guys. Of course, women are reading it as well and probably purchasing more than men are. But at the same time, I was just like, I'm going to make it your best us. Marriage is easier than you think. So it's just the tools to help guys to do that. And I'm really pleased the way it turned out because I think it's been helpful for people. So there you go. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And maybe if you would like to add a few words and, you know, just to give a little teaser for the guys to pick up this book, obviously I will leave a link in the show notes, but please, if you want to share a little teaser with the guys listening. 
Yeah, you know, after working with married couples through the church for a really long time, I started to notice there wasn't a lot of scripture, biblical passages on marriage. And I thought, well, you know, maybe the author did that on purpose. And so I just took a few of those verses and we turned it into what we call the core four habits of have serious fun. We believe the best way to protect your marriage is to enjoy your marriage. Two is uh, love God first. Like when we put our faith first, like as an individual, that empowers our relationship. There's respect and love. There's this dynamic. I put those as one thing because when there's conflict, there's this cycle of lack of respect and lack of love. And when there's not conflict, there's a surplus of love and respect. And then finally, the practice your promise. You know, we spent $72 billion in the United States on weddings. And we say, wow, you know, marriage is not about it. Isn't that crazy? It's equals out to be $30,000 per wedding. So we say marriage is not about the big day. It's about the everyday. It's about practicing those things that you promised. And I just think our vows to our spouse, you know, I keep a picture of my, on my desk of my wife when she's a little girl. And it just reminds me that she's just a little girl that's all grown up. She's not perfect. She's never going to be. She's trying really hard. And it just gives me empathy for her. So I think it's, you know, just practicing that lady that we promised, even when she makes us mad. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for that. Ted, if you had the opportunity to talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? What would you tell him to do differently? You know, I think for me, I was abused as a kid. And when you're abused as a kid and no adult tells you that that's not okay, you didn't deserve that, I think that's what I needed I needed someone to 20 year old me, someone to say, hey, you know, all of that was not okay. You know that you didn't deserve any of that. You know that there's not anything wrong with you. You know that wasn't about you. And this was 100 percent about them. And to tell me then to go get some healing about that, because I didn't start trying to heal from that until I was in my mid 30s. And it's really difficult after you've been married for six or seven years to go dealing with abuse and stuff. So I'd say anybody that's listening that's been abused that we need to reach out we got to reach out and get help and get healing from that stuff because it just doesn't go away. And I just think, look at me going, you know, God loves you. You did not do anything wrong. So I think that's what I would, to be honest, I think I would just care about myself a little bit, kind of protect myself a little bit. That's so powerful. And I want to acknowledge you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for sharing this with us. Okay, this is the final piece. Ted, may I ask you to share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you or maybe he didn't know about being a man in today's world? I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life. One that you will be sure to share with the future generation. I think more than anything, what I long to hear from my dad and my dad didn't know how to or if he should have and didn't have it in his own life. I just needed my dad to say he was proud of me. I'm proud of you and I believe in you. And so I think that's what I've tried to instill. I've got two teenage boys. I've got a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I've got a 12-year-old daughter. And I think, you know, statistically speaking, when you start looking at a man's impact on children, of course, women have impact. But when it comes to self-worth, when it comes to how people see themselves in this world, it is so much leans toward what dad and what men were saying to them. So I think I just needed to hear that more from my dad. And I don't fault my dad for that because, again, He didn't know to do that. But I think it's that. It's just to say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I don't really care what you accomplish or do in this world. I still love you. And I'm still unconditionally proud that you're my boy. I think it's John Elrich that talks about, you know, that every young man wants to hear from his dad. You've got what it takes. And I think that's what I wish I'd heard from my dad. 
Yeah, I had a similar experience and this is something that I definitely share with my boys as well. I have two boys. One of them is very close to being 14. He'll be 14 by the end of this month and the younger is nine. And again, this is something that I'm telling them constantly. Oh, and my kids are like, I know, dad, you're proud of us. I know, I know you're so proud of us. Yeah. <laughs> And my son, like for his birthday, I'd write this letter of Albert and he comes, I got to hand him his letter. He goes, is this one of those emotional letters? And I'm like, do you know what I would have given for an emotional letter from my dad? I know, so, right? <laughs> isn't that crazy? So maybe I've gone overboard with it, but I do think our kids long to hear it. They may not know how to respond back to us, but they long to hear it. I know, I know. <laughs> So if you guys listening have, I don't know, maybe adolescent boys, go ahead and give them a hug. Even if they seem like they'll hate you for it, they actually need that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll tell them. I'll tell them. So I'll grab my middle one says he doesn't like physical touch and I'll, and I'll grab him. I'll say, oh, he'll say, stop. And I'll say, this is so good for your development. This is so good for your development. And he's like, no, it's not. It's terrible. You know, but, uh, feel the feeling, do the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows? He may be calling you in a few years to get coaching. My dad would just not shut up. So who knows? We may be screwing everybody up right now, but... Uh... <laughs> No, I, I'm, I'll take my chance. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to be wrong on that one. Yep, me too. All right. Okay. This has been great. Ted, before we say goodbye, please tell us about the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? Yeah, so they can go to tedlow.com and that's spelled T-E-D-L-O-W-E.com. Again, earlier I wrote a new book called Your Best Us. I've been really excited about that. I oversee an organization called marriedpeople.org where we create resources to help churches help marriages. And so we're constantly creating blog. We've got a podcast called the Married People Podcast that we've released. We're about 12 episodes in. We're recording about four or five more tomorrow. So Colleen, thank you for doing what you do. This podcast thing is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's a week? How hard can it be, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I was there. I was there in January. So I remember that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, what have we done? But we're having a lot of fun with that. So again, it's tedlow.com and marriedpeople.org. All right. I'll be sure to share the links in the show notes, guys. Thank you again for joining us today, Ted. And I hope to have you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast in the future. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing what you're doing. This is a great, great work. Such an honor. Thank you. Guys, till next time. Take care.